Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. It's pretty much in the middle of your Bible, if you're looking for it. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God let's bow together It was long ago, Lord, when David wrote these words, words of praise to you. But you meant them not only for him and for those who were his contemporaries, but for the church down through the centuries and for us, for me. Today. So, Lord, will you apply these? Will you open our our eyes, but especially our hearts to you? You have much to tell us today. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. In 1 Samuel, and again quoted in the book of Acts, David is called a man after God's own heart. I want to be called that. But I want it for you as well. To be a man a woman, a boy, a girl, after God's own heart. One might be tempted to think, well, for for David to write such words, to be used by God's Holy Spirit to, to write probably half of the 150 psalms. He must have been a holy man. And then to be called that as well. We know from the scripture, in addition to the heroic things 
that David did in his life, he was also a sinner. Unlike most people, unlike most of us, his sin was recorded and we still read about them and about their aftermath to this day. Today we're beginning a four-week series in Psalm 51. In order to understand this psalm, we must understand the background of the psalm. Now, you don't always get a lot of insight uh, when you're reading through the psalms. You don't always get a lot of insight from the title of the psalms. Sometimes there's no title. Sometimes it just says uh, who wrote it or to the choir master. Um, but in this case, we do get insight. It refers to specific instances of of what David was going through and, and why he wrote this. So let's take a look and understand that background before we begin in the psalm. In the title, it says, To the choir master, <coughs> a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. So what's the title talking about? Some of you know very well what it's talking about. It's talking about what was recorded in, in 2 Samuel 11. I'm not going to read all of that, but I'm going to read you just enough of that for us to get the context of, uh, of this psalm and what was going on. Uh, it says in Second Samuel 11, verse 1, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. And, but David remained at Jerusalem. David stayed behind. His first mistake. But... Many commentators say there was a reason for him not being there. It was a time of rest or respite or, or whatever. But, but we see that's what was going on. His troops were out in, in battle and he remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. So uh, that was a uh, common thing and uh, to, to go out and to relax out there, to probably to look over the city. It says that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. He saw Bathsheba bathing. Now there's no indication that he had deliberately uh, tried to do so. It just happened. He had not sinned as of yet just because of the seeing. And then verse 3. 
And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is, this, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So now he took the next step. He didn't just see. He, he said, I'm going to do something about this. He asked about her. And he sent for her. David was preparing for sin. We don't know how much he had thought through this at this point, but he was planning and putting himself in a position where it looked like that was going to take place. Verse 4, so David sent messengers and, and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. David committed adultery with her, and she became pregnant. Evidently, some time had lapsed at this point, even for her to know. Verse 6, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. He sends for her husband. Verse 7, when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war was going. So, Uriah, how's it going out there? That was a was a, a, a good thing to inquire of. But why him? Why at that point? Well, it's obvious. He had other motives. A lie. And then he tried to get Uriah drunk because he had a plan to cover his own sin. Verse 8, Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed uh, him a present from the king. He told him to, to go to his house, hoping that he would be with his wife and that they would then think the baby was his, was Uriah's. Verse 13. David invited him. He ate in his presence and drank so so that he made him drunk in the evening. He went out to lie on the couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So his plan wasn't working at this point. Uriah didn't want to go to his house, not with, not with my friends and fellow soldiers out there suffering. I'll sleep out here. So David had to ramp up his plan. He had Joab put Uriah on the front lines and killed along with some others. Verse 17, the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among uh, the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. 
So David was off the hook. Okay, my plan has worked. Everything will be okay. It's all covered up. David had gotten away with it. So he thought. And then Nathan, the prophet, came to him. And we'll see in a moment, he was caught. Now, I want to clarify here. Because sometimes people think, well, if if somebody doesn't repent until they get caught, then that's not real repentance. Well, that's the case with David. He absolutely didn't repent that we are aware of until he got caught. And yet we see his deep repentance. So here's how I look at that instead of saying, well, if they, if they get caught, then it's probably not real repentance. They're just, they're just sorry they got caught. Now that can be the case. But I use this with our children. We would say, God must really love you for him not to let you get away with this. I'm convinced that God loved David too much to let him get away with it. And so, God sent his prophet and he let Nathan know what had taken place. So Nathan tells a story to David. David, there's two in this city. One is very rich. He has all of the, the, the sheep and cattle and everything that he would want. And this other one has one little ewe lamb. And the, and the, the rich man is going to entertain but he didn't want to use up any of his lambs. And so he goes and he takes the one little ewe lamb that was like a family member of this poor man, like his own daughter, and he takes that one away. And David is furious. He's furious at whoever that one is that has all of his choice, and he takes that one. And he says, that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, that man is you. You are the man. And David knew it. Absolutely knew it. He knew his sin. It was there 
even though he might have thought he had gotten away with it, it was eating him up, we find out in other places in the scripture. And his response is verse 1 of Psalm 51 Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. David approaches God with assurance, but he doesn't demand God to forgive him because he deserves it. David doesn't begin with an excuse or a pity party or indication that, well, what he did wasn't so bad or, you know what, there's other people that have done worse things than him. We think we can always find someone else that's done something worse than us. After all, God, David doesn't ask for justice, but for mercy. Not because he thinks he deserves it, because of who God is. His loud cry starts with God's attributes. His attributes of steadfast love and abundant mercy. You see what's going on here? David says, I have no standing before you, but I know who you are. I know your characteristics. You have revealed them, your steadfast love and your abundant mercy. God, based upon those, will you show me mercy? Could that happen? He uses the word transgressions, blot out my transgressions. Uh, A transgression is a, a violation of something. In this case, it's God's standard, his law. And there were multiple transgressions as there usually are when it comes to these situations. But he doesn't ask for them to be overlooked. He asks for them to be blotted out. That term blotted out was a, a, a legal term, a judicial statement in that day in the court when an indictment was, was written. It was written in ink on parchment and David asked God to dissolve away the ink of the indictment against him. <laughs> Plot it out, will you? Oh God. And then he says in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. God will not overlook sin. Exodus 34, 7, who will by no means clear the guilty. He won't overlook the sin of the guilty. If God won't overlook sin, then David knew that his only hope, his only option was for God to wash him. David was was grasping how deep the stain of his sin was. He didn't say, wash my garments. 
The hypocrite is fine with that. As long as I look good out here to everyone else, I'm okay with that. That's the hypocrite. That's not repentance. They're content with that. The one who is truly repentant wants his whole being washed. This is personal. David says, wash me thoroughly. Not wash me off. Wash me inside and out. The Hebrew word translated thoroughly means in a great way or much. So when it's connected with a verb, it it means to do something repeatedly. Wash me and wash me and wash me again. And that's what he's pleading for here. He says, wash me and cleanse me. Now this is in Hebrew poetry. We have what we call Hebrew parallelisms where a statement will be made and then there's another statement right after it. You see it all over the Psalms. Another statement right after it that is very similar, some, sometimes almost the same words, but with, with slight nuance in the words. Sometimes it's saying the exact same thing. Sometimes it's adding a little something to the first thing that was said. In this case, he said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." Washing is like uh, the, the word is used with like soap and water to make it clean. Cleansing is a word that would be used when, when someone has leprosy and they are made clean. They are renewed. And that's what he's asking for here. With leprosy, you're an outcast. And David is saying, don't cast me out. Cleanse me instead. And then verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. His sin ever before him. That's where we're going to start next week. And go into this more. But think about that. Here is David He knew his transgressions. He knew of his lust, of his adultery, of his lying, of his murder. And he couldn't get away from them. And that's what happens. When people sin, it it doesn't go away on its own. It can't. It's always there. Some will try to suppress it. Some will deny it but it's there. Now in a few moments, we're coming to this this table. I've called it many things through the years. Today, the table of the cleansed heart. Here's what we read, and I want to connect this. In 1 Corinthians 11, about this table, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you. The cross. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember, my blood was shed for you on the cross. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This warns against partaking in an unworthy manner. One of the ways we would partake in an unworthy manner is if we are unwashed or uncleansed of our sin. There's a couple of ways that can be the case. A couple of categories. If we don't have a personal relationship with Christ, if you're not trusting in him alone for eternal life, then this table, this is family table is not for you yet because you're not washed, you're not cleansed if you're outside of Christ. The only remedy to that, the only way to be invited to the table is to have that personal relationship with him. And I would love to talk with you further about that. If you find yourself in that position, I'm glad you're here. Just please don't make a mockery of this table by taking if you don't know Jesus yet. But there's a second way we can partake in, in a manner not pleasing to the Lord. If you, like David, have a relationship with God, but you're covering up your sin or you're clinging to it, Now, when I describe what David did, there might have been some of you that were, would be tempted to, to look down on David. But understand this. You were the man. You were the woman. You're David. And like David, we must deal with our sin. The only remedy for our sin is the same one David found. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The only remedy is fleeing to Christ. If you're in Christ and living a life of repentance, daily dealing with your sin by going back to the cross, by preaching the gospel to yourself every single day and going back to what Jesus has done for you, if that's you, then you're not defined by what you've done 
or what someone did to you. If you are in Christ, you are a man after God's own heart. A woman after God's own heart. A boy or a girl after God's own heart. You are defined by what Jesus did for you. Let's bow together. Oh God, how merciful you are. Thank you for your loving kindness and your tender mercies. We need them. We pray that you would apply that to our hearts and give us peaceful hearts in you even as we partake in a few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.